2: flyweight champion of the world.
0: This is Fast Eddie Chambers and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man Joey Coastman.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 325 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing man?
0: I'm good, my man. How about you?
2: Always good when speaking with you, my friend. We are not going to be doing too much speaking, though, this week. Um, Only one event to review, which we're going to do straight away. Um, And then we're going to welcome our special guest this week. And then after that, uh, I don't even think there's any news at this moment. So uh, the outro pretty much will will, uh, disclose any news if there is any. And uh, there's nothing to preview either, because there's no boxing this weekend. So let's just get straight into it then. The one card took place at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida. It was on uh, Fox Pay-Per-View. Starting with the undercard, uh, Gerald Washington, former opponent of Eddie's. 20-5 and now with a draw, a TKO loss in round 8 against Ali Demarezin, the guy that... Um, had lost his O previously to Fffi Jag but he's now 15 and one. Um, typical kind of Gerald Washington fight really starts the fight you know looking okay um, on the jab, working everything, uh, you know basic fundamentals. and then as the fight wears on, uh, the conditioning comes into play or doesn't come into play, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the confidence just starts pretty much in front of your eyes uh, evaporating. And um yeah, the experience of Demerezen came came through. And yeah, he scored the knockout, I think, the corner through the towel in. Um you know, incredible that that um Gerald Washington was was actually up on two of the three scorecards at the time at a stoppage, but he just couldn't carry on. Um, I've seen Gerald fight like that a few times. Uh, Jonathan Rice as well on the card, 15-6 and six with a draw. He was able to beat unanimously over 10. Michael Polite-Coffee, so that is a serious spanner in the works there for michael polite coffee once a very bright prospect he was knocked out in the first fight and completely completely dominated here in the second fight he's now 12 and two um yeah i mean that's completely derailed his career also heavyweight frank sanchez with a win now 20 and 0 a unanimous decision over 10 rounds um christian hammer the late replacement stepped in of course. Now has a record of 26 and 9. He was down in the tenth and final round. He lost every single round. But um I think a lot of people are kind of getting a little bit frustrated with Sanchez. He you know, he didn't put his foot on <laughs> he didn't put his foot on the gas when he when he perhaps could have. Um you've got to take into account how old he could be. Um, which is the same kind of situation for our main event, which we'll get to in a moment. But yeah, to think that Christian Hammer, I mean, his last fight, he completely quit against Huey Fury, who no one's really banging the drum for, unfortunately. You know, um, Still a young enough guy to make, make some noise in the division and all that. But but Frank Sanchez, who some people are really high on, I've never understood why, to be honest with you, and he just cruises to a points winner. I know that you've got something to say about that fight, Eddie, but just briefly, um, I want to... I'll just come to you at the end. I just want to talk about the main event here. Luis Ortiz, now 33-2. A very, very um, interesting uh, performance. Completely behind on all the scorecards at the point of the stoppage. A 6th round TKO against former world champion Charles Martin, now 28-3 and with a draw. Ortiz, of course, down in the 1st round and in the 4th round. And then Prince Charles Martin down twice in round 6. Um, you know... It's it's uh, I I don't claim to be a boxing expert, but I was watching that fight, and you know there's. Let me finish that, Simmons. I don't I don't claim to be a boxing expert, but I get a lot of things right, um, and I don't always kind of uh, tweet them or whatever. But I had to tweet this one. I mean, I'm watching the fight. Obviously, Ortiz, you know, <laughs> you know, looked like his punch resistance was gone all of a sudden. Um, Charles Martin performed really well. Now, I have always thought Charles Martin is actually better than 99% of people think he is. I'm not sure why people think he's so bad. I think people just look at how Joshua got him out of there and they think he's absolutely useless. He's never been useless. He's always been quite good. And I tweeted right after the stoppage, I tweeted I think in summary of what I've seen tonight, Prince Charles Martin is better and always has been better than a lot of people gave him credit for. However, Luis Ortiz I was just about to put money on 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 the knockout for Lewis Ortiz about 30 seconds before um Prince Charles Martin was ever in any real danger I saw it coming I saw it coming yeah. I, I I you know not many people did I saw it coming I I really felt that um you know Charles Martin was um just beginning to unravel a little bit. I think Luis Ortiz's experience was coming, coming on. You know, he seemed to be hitting, um, you know, uh, Prince Charles Martin a lot more. He was setting traps. They were working. We we got to remember he's a very, very deeply skilled. Um, you know, he's got that pedigree, the Cuban. Um, but yeah, you know that that was just my views on it. I I could see the stoppage coming uh, before it came, and I didn't place that bet. But um, yeah, unbelievable comeback. You know, his children were ringside crying their eyes out. It was quite difficult to watch that. I hope that you know they're not there next time when he fights because they were upset and rightly so. It was it was a you know a terrible start to the fight for Ortiz, but he did come through in the end. And and the shot, the initial shot that hurt Prince Charles, um, he had no idea where he was. It reminded me a little bit of Price Povetkin or um, Harper against uh, Baumgartner. Completely didn't know where. Uh, he was for a while and, um, shock him really. Cause up to that point he boxed brilliantly and, um, yeah, it was, you know, all slipped away in a second. Um, yeah, that's my view really on, on the entire card, Eddie. So if you want to go back and look at any of those other fights and say a word on them or whatever, or just talk straight about the main event. Take it away, my friend.
0: Okay. Well, you know, as far as the, um, Gerald Washington, I really didn't see order Michael Blake coffee, so I really can't weigh too much on it. But I just, you know, I watched Gerald and, you know, some of the fights that he's been in, including the heavyweight title shot that he had, he just unraveled so quickly because of the, I think there's a lack of experience and understanding of conditioning. I think maybe things that he does in camp might not be there. You know, his understanding of how to deal with punches too, and the pressure of the of, of, of boxing and being, you know, it being so focused on you sometimes for guys who are new to the game, it kind of swallows them up a little bit, you know, once you get to a certain level. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. As far as Michael Coffey, man, that's just so unfortunate. He just ran into a guy that has his number. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things. Like, I don't think Michael Coffey was that bad a fighter. I think he was actually not bad. You know, I watched him fight Darmani Rock and how he just dismantled him. I was like, man, he might be something. And then to get in there with a guy like this, who is obviously a lot better than his record, And he's one of those spoilers that you get in the ring with and you just don't expect them to be anything. And they just turn out to be the hardest fight you ever had. And it just turned out that this just has been his undoing. It's unfortunate, man, for him. Um, As far as Frank Sanchez, man, it's just, it's, they used to say how frustrating it was to watch me fight guys. But one thing about me is I never ran from anyone. uh, uh, Metaphorically or in the ring, physically. I stay right there. I'll move just enough. I'll do what it takes. But I'm in there, to fight and land punches. And, and I make guys miss, but I make them miss traditionally, right in front of you. This guy just—I feel like he, he has a lot of talent. And some of the things that he does, he has a good background and he understands range, but he just uses it way too much. He's—he's he's fighting. He's moving. In my opinion, and wasting opportunities more than even like Arislandi lara and lara will move around the ring like crazy but this guy you know is a heavyweight and there's the heavyweight punch count is not high so you know what i mean it's already like uh you know what i mean and he's got a guy in front of him that's just 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 there to be hit and you know i'm, I'm not saying for him to go and just unload everything on him and not and waste punches but you have to do something and people used to say, people say, oh, I'm boring and I'm all this and that. And it's like, bro, like, I look at this guy. And it just, if I was bad, then whew, they need to be, they need to really be upset with this one. He's not a bad fighter at all. It's, it's you know, it's just that I think he takes too much time in between combinations, in between opportunities. I think there's, it's, there's things there for him. He just doesn't, he just doesn't act on it quick enough. And, you know, he's fast, you know, physically. And sharp, but his 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 motor's not. He is I think his motor needs to be revved a little more. Uh, that's the only thing that's gonna really make him watchable because if pretty soon he'll be able to beat guys and get to a certain level because of how, you know, how how good he is at range. And you know, he's already about C six three, six four, so he's not a small guy like me, so he doesn't really have to always get to the guy necessarily. But he in order for him to be like the elite elite of the elite he's gonna have to he's gonna have to take more chances you know what i mean or or at least be in range to um and with the whole charles martin thing joe it's crazy that you said what you said because i saw it coming too i saw it coming too i saw it coming from round one to be honest and i'm not just like a front runner i'm that but a hundred percent i saw it coming and i knew it was going to happen i was just it was just a matter of when i seen a couple of the traps he set i seen like a couple of the counter right hands he threw off of off of uh charles martin even though charles martin was doing some good things i think it was a little bit fool's gold because the success he was having i think it was just circumstantial like in in, in certain in positional i think it it was certain shots that ortiz was getting hit with based on being the south versus south pole that he wasn't kind of he wasn't really used to it and you could tell that he was getting hit, and he couldn't understand why the hell he was down. Like, how the hell I get with that bullshit shot? And it's because it was coming from an angle he wasn't really 100% comfortable. But Charles Martin was suffering from the same issues, too, at times, and shots were catching him wrong. And I knew eventually it would come because the cream always rises to the top, and that doesn't say that Charles Martin is not good, but I just think Ortiz is a slightly higher level, you know what I mean, skill-wise and... I think it ended up showing when he finally caught him and got him out of there. That's not to say that I don't think that Charles Martin could have won because he could have. But I still—I just don't feel like he would have stopped Ortiz and I knew that eventually Ortiz would catch him and hurt him and then finish him. And I, I just really had that feeling.
2: Okay, well, there we there we have it. That is the review part of the show done. The final thing for us to do is to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA middleweight and IBF light heavyweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Reggie Johnson. Reggie, welcome to the show, my man. Oh, thank you, man. How are you doing, man? I'm looking forward
1: to uh, talking boxing with you and thank you for sharing your uh,
2: platform with me. Yes, absolutely my pleasure. And the answer to your question, I'm doing a lot better now I'm speaking to you. So, Reggie, first things first, um, I want to start this interview the same way I do all of my interviews that are similar to this. What's your earliest memory in boxing in the very beginning? How long uh, or how old were you when you first put on a pair of gloves? What's your earliest memory?
1: Well, my earliest uh, memory was uh, my uncle, uh, Ken and Iron Man Walker. Took me to the boxing gym when I was 12 years old at the Salvation Army Boys Club. Uh, Introduced me to the late Mr. James Carter, who became my uh, boxing coach and father figure. Uh, I remember the first day I went in there, they gloved me up. That's the first time I had gloves on. Uh, Put me on the headgear, and I had a mouthpiece. And I got in there for the first time in a boxing ring and sparred with a kid who had of course, I had more experience than I did. And uh, I think we did three rounds. And I remember everybody was hollering and was surprised. Uh, and it was like second nature to me. And I remember when those three rounds was up, Mr. Carter then was taking my hair off. And then he was taking my gloves off. And the late Mr. James Carter told me, he said, you know what, young man, you can be the champion of the world. And uh, that just stuck, you know, that stuck in my heart. And it stuck you know, in my head and keep in mind, I was an active little kid. I played football, which was my first love. I played basketball. I even did the wrestling and even baseball. But, you know, that was the last time I ever played any one of those other sports that they, you know, when I put those gloves on.
2: Wow, man, that's a brilliant story. I love hearing people's first ever stories. That's up there with one of the best I've heard. Um, obviously, you box as an amateur. I believe you had just over 100 amateur fights. You won, I think, 96 of them. Uh, what was your favorite or proudest moment of your amateur boxing career, Reggie?
1: Well, I think the, the, uh, the, the proudest moment, it wasn't even a fight. I grew up real fast. Uh, My mother had me when she was 14. Um, I had two twin sisters who was four years younger than I was. My daddy was uh, locked up at the time. Uh, I had a job at 14. I was working at a Kroger's, which is a grocery store here, a large grocery store, a noted grocery store here in America. and um, I was working there, and uh, the president... The head manager was in touch and, and and had a relationship with my mom and and the late Mr. James Carter. And then there was a vice president. This guy was real rude. I I can still remember he had a cigar. He smoked a cigar, and 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 the way he he, he handled people and and talked to the people that was working there, and 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 you know, during this time, keep in mind, even even at at, at 14 years old, I was a noted boxer in the area. Everybody, you know, telling me you're gonna be champion but boxing, had a job, was making money, helping my mother. And and but this guy one day, one day, to make a long story short, one day I, I I had clocked out and I was behind the counter looking at the calendar to see when I come back to work. And 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 and, and, and that rude assistant manager asked me to do something, to go do something, and I said I said, Oh, I already clocked out. And he said, I don't give a damn, do it. I said, excuse me? He said, "I said, do it." And before I know it, and keep in mind, this is a buildup. This ain't nothing I'm proud of. I'm just telling you the true story. I think I hit that guy with a seven or eight piece. I'm 14 years old, man. I'm a little boy, and and and, and blood everywhere. And this dude is out. He's out. And I remember this, sir. I I, I took off running, ran out the out, out the store, and, and ran home. And I never forget, man. And I was about a mile and a half, two miles. Uh, from from where I lived at, and I got there and knocked on the door. My mother opened the door, and she, she could started to look on my face, and she's like, what's wrong? And I told her what happened, and my mother was really upset with me because, like I said, she had a, a relationship with the head manager, uh, Mr. Carverhall, and um, that was his name, Mr. Carverhall, and um, and I told her what happened, and my mother was so upset with me, this and that. She called Mr. Mr. Carverhall, and we end up going up there the next day. We go upstairs to his office, me, my mom, uh, the guy that I, I hit, and it was a couple of other workers that was, went up there. And Mr. Carverhall told me, he said, Reggie, you, oh, maybe we support you. We make sure you can go to your amateur fights. Man, you're going to be the champion of the world one day. You can't just go hitting people like that, this and that. And then, then he looked at the guy, he said, and he told the assistant man, he said, listen, when this guy tell you that he's already clocked out, all the people working here, you could have got somebody. Why would you do that? This and, that. and then at the end of the day, Mr. Cabral said, listen, man, I would like to put this behind us. Can we move forward? Everybody agreed. I came back to work, was working. I'm still saying the same thing with this guy. One day, like I'm talking about this, like seven days, eight days later, I, I go looking for Mister Carbro, I say, and I found him over the, in, the, in the fruits and the vegetables. Thing. I said, Mister Carbro, I need to talk to you. He said, Reggie, anything? What's what's wrong? He said, What's wrong? I said, No, everything is good. So we went upstairs. I talked to him. I said, Listen, man, thank you for letting me have this job back. I said, but I can't work around this guy. I'm gonna end up getting in, in, in deeper trouble, this and that, and boom, boom, boom. But I'll never forget, man. It was a long walk home. That 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 mile and a half, two miles, turned into to 10 miles, man, because I was walking slow trying to figure out how I'm going to tell my mother. But to make this a little shorter, when I get home, I knock on the door. My mother opened the door. She see that look on my face. She say, what the hell are you done did now? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I say, mother, I said, mama, I didn't do nothing. I said, I had to quit that job. I can't be around that guy, this and that, this and that. And uh, uh, my mama say, oh my God, boy, I thought you didn't put your hands on that man. He, ah, she said, I got something for you. My mother go in her room, come out with all this mail. She find the mail that belonged to me, and it was open. And I flipped it over, and when she gave me a look, it, had my name on it. I said, Mom, why would you open my mail? She said, God damn it, boy, I'm your mom. I can open your mail. So, you know, so I, so, so I opened the mail and started reading it. And uh, it was the invitation to the USA boxing team on my first tour, Sweden, Germany, Denmark, and Japan brother
2: that was perfect timing and uh you know my life everything just took off brilliant man i wonder where that guy is i wonder if he's still working in a grocery store maybe i wonder if his attitude has changed to some of his co-workers now <laughs> getting on well, to your... I, 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 I hope so but i still i still talk to uh
1: mr carver Hall because uh, every 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 holiday he do something at his house. I didn't make it this year, but me, the, the 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 head manager man, I still have been touch. He he worked for that company uh, for fifty two years. Wow, wow, wow. But yeah, Mister yeah. Mm hmm. I still I, I still have his number. I'm still in contact with him whenever he do uh, charity stuff because I'm a big community activist
2: uh, all over the world, especially in my hometown. Whenever he's doing something, you know, I I, I support him. Excellent, man. And moving on to your pro career, Reggie, your pro journey began August 14th, 1984 in Texas. Um, You beat Mark Henderson on points over four rounds. Um, Tell me what you can recall about your pro debut. And am I right in saying you made your debut, was it two weeks before you turned 18?
1: Yes, yes, it
2: was, because I turned uh, turned 18 August 28th.
1: Yeah, I was 17 when I turned pro, signed a contract. My mother had to sign my contract with me. And, uh, you know, the people I was going to sign with uh, brought Tommy Hearns. They brought Duran, a lady named Josephine Abercrombie. But they ended up signing Frank Tate, who I lost to in the Olympic trials in 1984. And Mr. Carter, you know, he wasn't too happy about that. They signed him. All the while I was with them, even when, you know, I was still fighting amateur because they knew, you know, those people believed him and knew that I would you know, turn pro and do good as a professional. So Mr. Carter went and found a group of people who was boxing. They weren't boxing-related people business-wise, but they loved boxing. And at the age of uh, almost 17, at the age of almost 18, I got a $250,000 contract, brand-new car, and uh, I signed with those guys. They, they, I think they did like probably like my first 10, 15 fights something like that, and uh, it was a, called the a May group, and, you know, everything was going well. Uh, then I had I fought, I fought another top amateur fighter that was from Louisiana in my seven pro fight and lost a split decision, a fight that I should have won, but I was more worried about going to eight rounds the first time going to eight rounds than, you know, going in there just fighting, and uh, I lost a split decision to him. And, you know, I learned a lot from that. You know, leave it all in the ring, <laughs>
2: like they say. Yeah, because uh, I was going to say, obviously, you know, you made your pro debut uh, by December of that year. Only four months later, you're already 6-0. and oh. um, You close out right. the year strong. And then, yeah, January of uh, th- the following year, that's when you lose to Adam George um, over eight, right. over mm-hmm. eight rounds. A loss, Reggie, early on, because it was really early on. Only five months you've been a pro. Um a loss early on can either you know make you or break you. I want to ask if you'd agree with that, and and did it turn you into a better fighter in any way moving forward? That loss. Oh,
1: absolutely. When you think in retrospect, but you know when you lose, uh, your your first pro fight like that, you know, or uh, you know, you've got this big check. You, you I mean, everybody in, in your city, in your state, and people are starting to. Uh, tune in from all over the nation, which, you You know, it would, you know, I felt bad then, but, you know, as time goes on, you realize, man, you know, in a sense, on one hand, I felt bad. It hurt me then, but, you know, it really taught me a lot. You know, you leave it all in the ring. You go in there give it all you got. Don't worry about the rounds.
2: You're going, you just get in the best shape and, you know, everything else will take care of itself and after the loss you you returned to the ring in march um again 1985 you returned with a win over phil jones uh, the very next fight after that which took place in april was another another blip another speed bump you were held to a draw on points over 6 against eric williams you and williams then had the immediate rematch in which you stopped him in round 3 um moving on from there i want to jump forward now uh, if we can uh, about five years mm-hmm. later, to April 16th, 1990, a Monday night in Inglewood. Uh, your record at the time, 23-1 and one with a draw. You boxed Sanderlyn Williams. Um, you managed to beat him very wide, actually, over 12 rounds, 11 rounds to one on two cards, 10 rounds to two on the other card. Um, not many people were ever able to beat Williams that decisively. For example... In his very next fight, you know, after losing to you, he gets a draw with James Toney over 10 rounds. He had a split decision loss to Nigel Benn, a split decision loss to Iran Barkley, a close loss to Harold Graham. Um, what did you remember about your fight with him, Reggie? Because like I say, no one really beat him that wide at that time.
1: Well, you know, Sandalon Williams had also fought Frank Tate yeah. in Houston because I was at that fight. So I got a chance to see him then, and a lot of people thought he beat Frank Tate. And uh, you know, doing at that particular time, man, I was willing. You know, my thing was just, I, I'll fight anybody. You know, unlike today, these guys want to pick certain fighters. To pick. I would just whoever, they, whoever they, the managers and the people signed for me, I just go in there and fight them. And I, I know uh, Sandaline Williams, he he was a trial horse for the. Many of the great fighters who went on to become champions, because you know, they, I mean, if this guy beat this here guy, you know, he's on. A, you know, we got something because he was a he was a tough fighter, tough fight. And uh, you say I beat him eleven rounds to one. Uh, you know, even myself, I think I gave him more rounds than that in that fight at least three or four. <laughs> he, 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 he was he, he was he was a tough fighter, and you know, he and I fought in. Uh, uh, and, and, at the Great Western Forum in L.A. And and to go back just a little bit to add it, uh, I, I fought in South Africa. And, and the manager I had then was Bob Jordan. Me and him are still good friends. He just turned 80 years old uh, about four months ago. They sent me to South Africa. I stayed a month and a half, took one coach from Sweetport with me over there who had fighter signed with him here in Houston. And uh, I fought A guy. And I stopped A guy in, this, I think, a seventh round Came back and keep in mind, this is doing a part I wasn't even supposed to have been over there. Get back. I'm suspended by the sanctioning bodies because I wasn't supposed to have been fighting in South Africa. And uh, but the people I signed with in California, they got that lifted uh, thing a little after a year. And uh, but I came back. I was a gym rat in the gym, training, training, training. And the guy Bill Bitten, who owned the gym downtown Houston, say, "Reggie, why come you not fight, man? Listen, they got these people in California, man. They signing fighters. I told them I'm about to mention your name, and they knew who you was, and they said, they interested. Are you interested in going talking to these people? I said, Hell yeah! And uh, I went off. I went. I went down there. Uh, uh, was down there for like uh, five days a week and the guy, Mr. DeMay, who lived up in, up, up, uh, Northern California came down, flew his little jet down to see me work out. And then I remember that I worked out with some of the top fighters there. The guy put me in the office. Uh, we was at Ken's Northern managers gym, uh, uh in Watts, California, 108 street gym. That's that was the name of the gym. And, uh, they had a lot of great fighters there, man. I remember Michael Dokes and, man, there was a whole bunch of great fighters trained at that gym. But anyway, after we got through spawn, uh, the guy, Mr. DeMay came in and he said, Reggie, we are highly interested. What is it going to take for us to sign you? Keep in mind, I was 18, one and one. when I, when I left Houston, going to California and, uh, I said, well, I hadn't really thought about it, but I, I you know, if I, he said, no, no, we need you to do this. And now he had one of his guys go get a, a, a pad and a pen. He said, sit in here and think about it, man. Just take your time. And, you know, everything I wrote on that paper, the man came, he looked at it for a little while. He said, done deal. And, of course, I, you know, I wrote new for, uh X amount of dollars, uh, uh, getting me a condominium, all that stuff. The guy, they did it. And I'll never forget uh I came back home. I was staying in a two bedroom apartment. Came back home, put all that stuff in storage. Went back to California. I didn't come back home till after a year. I was the busiest fighter in the world. I think for my first fight, there, they put me in with a Hispanic guy who was a trial horse, like the uh, other guy, and 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 I stopped him. This guy was going to this, and I stopped him. We fighting at the Great Western Forum, and and I think over there, I think it was eighteen, nineteen. Months or something like that. I think I had fought like 12 times and I won the USBA belts and all that stuff. I was the busiest fighter in the world and it, it,
2: to the point I became the number one guy and became James Tony's mandatory. Yeah, and that brings us in nicely to my next question. Obviously, um, you know, Saturday, June 29th, 1991, the Hilton Hotel in Las Vegas, you challenge uh, for the IBF. Middleweight world title against the then-champion, the undefeated 26-0 and 0 with a draw, James Toney. Um, at this time, you're 29-1-1. One one. You had him down in the second round. Uh, you had a sensational second round. Uh, but he gets up, he wins a split decision after 12. The place erupted in booze. Tell me what you remember about that fight, Reggie.
1: Well, before, before I point on that, I'd like to bring this to your attention also, which you probably already know. I was the number one contender by two of the sanctioning bodies. Number two by one. Uh, I was supposed. To, I was uh, Michael second to none's mandatory, and 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 he had got another political buy to fight James Tony. James Tony beat him, and a lot of uh, a lot of people don't really understand this. And when I tell them uh, after James Tony upset Michael Nunn, he fought me six weeks after after that fight because I was the mandatory. Now that fight with James Tony. Uh, till this day, it's a fight in my heart. I know I won. Uh, even if you go back and watch that fight, even when I knocked him down in the second round, you can see the, the female judge hit, 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 hit the dish that she was at. And she was looking dead at me. Like she was upset. I knocked him down. That was the same lady that had me like what, four points behind going into the last round. Um, also, if you watch that fight, when the fight is over, they getting ready to tell who won the fight. If uh, soon the bell rang at the end of the round, you look at you look at my corner and look at James Tony corner. They know, uh, the way they reacted, they knew they had lost that fight. And and my corner was happy jumping knowing that we had won the fight. But I always tell people this man, you live and you learn. Uh James Tony learned from that. Um man, he became one of the greatest fighters in our era that could fight in any any era and, and him moving up fighting the the guys, those big heavyweights and beating the great Evander Holyfield. And I mean, it only adds credibility to, uh, my name and, uh, like I tell everybody about Ali, you can't mention Muhammad Ali's name without bringing up Joe Frazier, or you can't bring up Joe Frazier's name without bringing up Muhammad Ali. And I kind of like to think the same thing should be with me and James Tony. But once again, when we fought, my name never came up again because they knew that James Tony
2: really lost that fight and they knew that he couldn't beat me because the way I fought. And six months after that controversial loss to Tony, you bounce back with a second-round KO over Melvin Wynn in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, Florida. Your next fight takes place April twenty-second, nineteen ninety-two, in New Jersey, a Wednesday night. Uh, you box for the vacant WBA middleweight world title against the future two-weight world champion, the very tough Steve Collins. Uh, the fight ends in a majority decision victory for yourself. Uh, tell me about the fight, and of course, what it what it felt or how it felt. To become champion of the world for the first time, Reggie.
1: Well, man, it was, it, was, it was a it was a great feeling, especially when you you've already fought for the world title and you experienced that that uh, that loss that you knowing your heart was a win. Irish Steve, Colin, uh, I'll tell everybody, man, if I ever go to war, I want that guy standing next to me. He was he was a warrior, and like you just educated people on. He went on to win two world titles himself after he lost to him. And keep in mind, I my fight with Tony happened. I had lost in my first try. He lost to Mike McCallum. So he and I both was getting a second chance. And, uh, you know, he got a third chance and went on to win two more, you know, two, two world titles him, himself. Man, that was a great victory. <laughs> and if you go back and look at that fight right before they announced that I won, when they, when they, they said this, the second had us uh, a tie fight, the look I had on my face, and I said to myself, oh, man, they're going to get me again. But at the end of the day, you know, Reggie Johnson had became champion of the world like the late Carl told me I would be.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's a <clears throat> very proud moment. Obviously, I'm sure you'll never forget... Um, Reggie, do you remember who was on the undercard that night? It was such a stacked undercard.
1: Well, uh, they had the guy. Um, What's the guy that fought Tony? That to gave. I mean, who fought uh, Mike Tyson? Gave him a tough. Tony was it? Tony Tucker. Yeah. He fought on that undercard. Uh, man, there was a lot of great fighters on that on that undercard. It was a uh, There was another Italian. Uh, rated heavyweight, yeah,
2: former, uh, former heavyweight. one of the
1: guys who fought Mayweather in a world title fight. He beat uh, uh, Rocky Lockridge. I'm trying to remember his name. He yeah. fought on that card. Yeah, yeah, man, it, it, it was. Oh, and then the guy who deceased now, who fought Your what you call it those three,
2: Your those three wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah what Arturo, was guy
1: that fought the guy?
2: Arturo Gatti.
1: Arturo Gatti fought on that undercard. Yeah, it, it was unbelievable. And, and, and a lot of people don't understand that fight was on Showtime. And that fight was on a Wednesday night. Exactly. It wasn't <laughs> on a Friday or a weekend. It was on a Wednesday night, if my memory serves me right.
2: That's right, yeah. Your memory is uh, incredible. Arturo Gatti, um, Tony Tucker, obviously former heavyweight. Tony Tucker, yeah. Right. And also former heavyweight world champion Francesco Damiani. And yeah that fight yeah, that's the guy from Italy, right. That's right. That's right. Damiani.
1: And yeah. and Sean yeah. Bay
2: Mitchell against Rocky Lock, Lockridge as well.
1: There you there you go. That's right. Ooh. And you know, you know, you know, you know something that's even greater than that for me personally. <laughs> Muhammad Ali was there, he came supported me and I'll never forget uh the day before the fight, I'm in I'm in his uh in his hotel room with his little boy, me, him, and Ali. We in there talking, clowning, having fun, and we get a knock on the door. It was my chief trainer, Manuel Chato Robles. As a matter of fact, his son is the one to train Andy Ruiz to beat Anthony Joshua, and he just and he also was training the guy, Morton, who just fought this past weekend. And he trained a lot of good fighters, but he had, like, about four or five fights, and then he just started training fighters. His dad taught him everything. His dad was my chief trainer, Manuel Chato Robles. Uh, But anyway, Chato knocked on the door, and they opened the door, and they said, Reggie, somebody wants you? And I go there. It was Chato. Chato said, Reggie, you know, he's from Mexico. He said, Reggie, come here. You know, I go out, close the door. He said, Reggie, listen to me, man. He said, listen, I know you love Muhammad Ali. He's your hero, ain't he not to me. He like, but Ali don't fight for you, man. We fight for world title tomorrow, man. This is not right, man. We get back focused, man. We got to get back focused. We got to get back focused. He like went off on me. I said, okay, okay, Chato, okay. So I go back in there <laughs> and tell Ali. I said, Ali, that's uh, Chato, man. He's a little upset. He, we got to get back focused. And he right. I said, I'm going to have to go. And I told him, you know, hug this little boy and, uh, Muhammad Ali told me, he said, Reggie, wait a minute, wait a minute, what, what'd you say his name, man? I, I said, uh, Chato. He said, oh, Ch- Chato, Chato. He said, you know what, boy? He said, you know, Chato, right, man? He said, I don't want you blaming me if that Irish white boy whipped your ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Muhammad Ali was a character, man. He did magic, did all kind of funny stuff, man. That, that man, that was my hero, man. He, man, it's... It, 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 Man, yeah, I'll never forget those days. And, you know, he he, he came to a few of my fights at, in L.A., at the Great Western Forum as well, oh, before beautiful. I fought for the World title.
2: That is yeah. beautiful, man. That's beautiful.
1: I had a guy, Lloyd Wells, who ended up being with Ali. That's how I got real close to Ali. Matter of fact, I was at his mother's funeral uh, when she passed away. Mama Bird, that's what they called his mother. Yeah. Went and he gave me the tour, went to the, the house that he was raised in, took me through, you know, through his communities and stuff like that. Yeah,
2: oh, that's, that's just unbelievable. You, you won't forget that for, for the rest of your life. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Your first defense the title came six months later in Houston, Texas, a homecoming um, October 27th against the undefeated Lamar Parks. Uh, you, you won the fight unanimously over 12 rounds. Tell me what you remember about that one, Reggie.
1: Well, I remember that I was the underdog. I remember Lamar Parks was a guy that had, they had labeled to be a, a great champion. He was signed with Madison Swell-Garden. He's originally from North Carolina. Uh, I, think, I think I was two to one, three to one underdog in that fight. Uh, what I remember most, though, Evander Holyfield, who I shared, we both was on the U.S. boxing team at the same time. Uh, he was training here in Houston. And, um, uh, he told me, he said, Reggie, you need to get with Tim Hallmark. That was his strength coach who was a, a great, he was a great swimmer in the Olympics, but he became a strength coach, Tim Hallmark. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about having to make 160 pounds. I had never lifted weights before I did this, you know, the strength training and, uh, I'm sitting here thinking, man, how in the hell I'm gonna make 160 pounds? I go put muscle on me and lift weights. But anyway, I went on and met with him downtown Houston, uh, Tim Hallmark downtown, and uh, he was talking to me. We were going back and forth, and you know, I was explaining to him what I just forementioned about making the weight. And I can make this story a little shorter. At the end of the day, Tim Hallmark said, Reggie you're just going to have to trust me. He said, the Holyfield and all these other guys, he started naming the guys that he trained, not just boxer, all the athletes. He said, he said, all these guys trusted me. You're going to just have to trust me. And I trusted him. And that was the best move I ever made in my life. The decision I made in my life because I never felt that in that type of energy, that strength, you know, and legs and, you know, things of that nature. And, you know, that I, I remember, uh, Yeah, I beat him, a unanimous decision, being the three-to-one underdog. Uh, At the post-press conference, I told the media, I said, listen, this guy's going to be future middleweight champion of the world. Pretty soon, I will be moving up to 68. Um, And he fought his his way back to number one. And uh, I'm pretty sure you know the history of that. He was fighting Gerald McCullough and he tested positive for HIV, man, and, you know, even the young lady that he was with was his girlfriend. You know, she passed away, but you know I'm still in contact with even him. Lamar Parks I always call and check on him, and uh, he he's doing fine. He's walking around about 220 pounds. He's still, you know, you he never taste still healthy, man. That's good to
2: hear, man. Um, yeah. Three months after that was when you made your second defense of the title, Tuesday, January 19th, 1993, in Idaho. Uh, you stopped Ki Yun Song in eight rounds, um, Reggie. What do you remember about that one? And where did he actually come from? Because um, I mean, not where he's from, background wise, but I'm guessing obviously he was world ranked. I couldn't find anything on his amateur career. Where did he appear from?
1: Well, this this is one of the this is one of the things. Like I'll tell fighters to this day, these fighters go out there promote these fights for the promoters going back and forth with each other, cussing each other out, fighting. But at the end of the day, the promoters uh, sign all these fighters, and they're going to use the two fighters, uh, do what's in their best interest. Uh, That's a fight that I didn't want to take, and I told Dan Goose, and I was with Ken Goose, Dan, I told him, I'm not fighting this guy. Look at his record. I'm not fighting this guy. And the reason why I fought the guy, he came to me, Weeks later after this happened and told me, I met with him, he said, listen, Reggie, this is what we got at the table. You got to fight this guy. You take care of the Korean guy. Terry Norris take care of Julian Jackson. You guys fight each other. He moved up to, from 54 to 60. Y'all, y'all both make 1.2 $1.5 million apiece. And that inspired me <laughs> to take that fight and, uh, you know, I did what I had to do, took care of my end of it, but Terry Norris got knocked out, and that fight never happened. It's kind of a listen of Tommy Morrison uh, fighting one of my USA teammates, Benton, uh, uh, when he had signed the fight, uh, the guy from uh, uh, Lennox Lewis, and got knocked out, and $8 million gone. He's going to get $8 million gone. So, uh, I kind of like experienced that to a certain degree, too. You know, that, that fight never happened with me and Terry Norris. Yeah, and obviously. But, you know, the, so- Korean, the Korean guy was, I think he had a pretty good amateur background, they say, but, you know, he was tougher. But, you know, I
2: I got him out of there in eight rounds. So, yeah, another win for you there. Your, your third defense comes May the 4th for Tuesday night in Denver, Colorado. You pitched a shutout win on points over Wayne Harris. Uh, tell me about that one, Reggie.
1: Well, Wayne Harris was a guy uh I was supposed to fight I think Harvey uh, Castro for that fight, but it didn't happen, and he came in at the last minute, and you know you know all that is you gotta make make uh uh change the style of fighting when you're fighting a guy at six three six two six three instead of fighting a guy that's your height a little shorter than you, but you know once again, you know you you know, you have to also <clears throat> be able to make the adjustments as as things carry on, and I did. And he he, he was a tough fighter, and even he, that guy himself, I, I still communicate with a lot of the guys I fought and just boxing it talked to him. And then his brother fought, one of my cousins, uh, uh, Golden Johnson, who fought
2: Sugar Shane for the uh, world title. Okay. Okay, and your next fight takes place... October first of that year in Buenos Aires, Argentina, you lose your world title by unanimous decision to former super middle sorry former junior middleweight world champion moving up in weight, John David Jackson. Uh, tell me about that one, Reggie. Another close fight, really, that you could have got the you know got the decision in.
1: Well, <laughs> uh, you said that way another close fight. I, I, I call that another political loss. Um, John David Jackson. Um, pretty much uh took that fight with me and was pretty much told if he go to 12 rounds with me he would definitely get the decision because he would go back and fight jorge castro from argentina uh and what happened was uh that political loss when that happened he wouldn't go over there and fight him and they stripped him and that's why i end up fighting Castro, and I went over there because I wanted to win my title back, and then I end up going back again. You know, they, I got those, those uh, John David Jackson, my two fights in Argentina, uh, I've labeled those uh, political losses on my record, and of course, the James Tony fight, I have four political losses, but uh, that, that, that's pretty much what, what happened with John David Jackson, and let me say this about John David Jackson, he's left-handed too, it's like really, it was a it was, uh, uh, like we wasn't playing, uh, checkers, we were playing chess. This guy was left-handed and it was like, I was kind of like, almost like fighting myself, <laughs> you know, he was a smart fighter, but he didn't beat me.
2: Yeah. And like I said, let's, let's, uh, I don't want to go too far ahead. I want to sort of keep it so that people don't get lost. Um, After the loss, the quote-unquote loss to Jackson, you bounce back um, four months later against Ramon Felix. You stopped him in a round. Uh, In the meantime, as you said, John David Jackson gets stripped. Um, In your next fight, you get the chance to box for the title again. And then, yeah, August 12th, 1994, back in Argentina, you box for your old title Uh, the WBA middleweight world title, which was, of course, vacant at that point. Jorge Castro, your opponent, the Argentinian fighter who was um, on the undercard, obviously, the night you boxed John David Jackson. His record at the time, 93-4 and with two draws, 65 by KO. I mean, this was his 100th fight. Incredible. But yeah, you go 12 rounds, you lose a split decision. Um, I know you pretty much summed it up, but just so that people can uh, get the first fight so they can tell the difference between the first fight and the eventual second fight. Just give me a sentence on this first fight or the first fight between you and Castro, Reggie.
1: Well, it would be the same thing like the second fight, uh, to educate, uh, uh, boxing related people or boxing fans. Uh, normally whenever you fight somebody in their country, in their backyard, and if a fight is a split decision, uh, nine out of 10 times, uh, the guy who lost the fight, won that fight, and uh, you just mentioned about the split decision. Uh, it, it, it was a fight that I, I, once again, in my heart, I know I won, but, you know, uh, I was battling the system. I was battling, you know, how things operate and work in the ultimate sport of boxing. Uh, and, you know, I had to live with it. You know, <laughs> that was a long flight home. Uh, but, you know... Yeah, I'm no, the same guy that went back and fought him later.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, again, you're right. You go to a guy's backyard, uh, you know, you lose a split decision. That pretty much paints a picture in itself, especially if that guy you're fighting is like a, you know, a superstar in his country as well. You're just not going to get that that decision. Um, yeah, so after the first fight with Castro, you took 14 months out of the ring. Obviously, you, you were inactive. Castro, on the other hand, defended the title three times. Um, of his three defenses, one came against John David Jackson. He beat him by knockout after trailing on the scorecards the entire fight. It went down as the Ring right. Magazine's 1994 fight of the year. Uh, obviously, the rematch, again, you're, you're in Argentina. Friday the 13th, by the way, October 1995. Um, yeah, almost like deja vu. Another Almost like deja vu. Another split decision. Um, we're not going to talk about that because again they were pretty much the same fight twice after the Castro fight uh, you become inactive almost two years you were out before you returned at light heavyweight in July of 1997 in Mississippi against Robert Doyle who you stopped in a round this brings us into 1998 February 6th was the date you fight for the IBF light heavyweight world title against the then champion the undefeated big punching William Gufrey it was you though who scored the knockout win in round five? He subsequently had to be removed from the ring on a stretcher. A huge knockout! Uh, tell me about that fight, and of course, what it felt like to win a world title now for the second time in a second weight class, Reggie. Well, let, 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 let me
1: start off with how that fight came about. You know, I was, like I said, I was a gym rat. I played in the gym. The guy who the gym, Bill Benton, uh, got a call, and that fight was for. Frank Tate, who I lost to in the Olympic trials. They wanted to fight him, and he, he wouldn't take the fight. And Mr. Biden told the people at HBO, he said, well, do you have any ties with this guy? Because I have somebody to fight him, but he's not going to beat this guy. And he said, the guy from HBO said, get the hell out of here. Who you got that's going to whoop William Guthrie? And he mentioned my name. He said Reggie Johnson. He said the guy HBO said get the hell out of here. Reggie is a middleweight. He said yeah, but no, Reggie's moving up to super middle. But I'm pretty sure he would consider fighting William Guthrie for a world title. And when he told me, I said hell yeah, I want that fight. <laughs> and I and I didn't go. I didn't really know who William Guthrie was. I, uh. uh I didn't go look at, I didn't I, I didn't say, let me go look at some of his uh, fights. I say, hell yeah, I'll take that fight. And that's how that whole fight happened. And, uh, you know, me uh, uh, studying William Gutcher, getting ready for him for that fight, bringing in big guys to spar with, uh, uh, I realized, you know, once again, what we did not foremention at the beginning of this, when I turned pro, the great Curtis coach, the people hired to train me too. And the first thing Curtis coach, uh, first day I was in the gym with him, the first thing he said, he said, Reggie, you see those legs, those same legs you use to position yourself to hit a man with is the same damn legs you use to get the hell out of the way. And, uh, that's that's pretty much you know I beat a lot of guys really if you think about it with my legs and of course you know defensive skills but it all starts with your legs and uh I, that that spoken volume and stuck in my head this every day training for that fight with William Guthrie and uh, but I knew moving up in weight I had to get some type of respect because he was knocking everybody out and uh. You know, I was real. I think that was people didn't realize that I could fight like that as well. You know, move in the time, taking to a guy and and and
2: and punch like that. Yeah, like I say, it was a, a huge knockout. Uh, your fe- your first defense of the light heavyweight crown came three months later. You had to travel to Italy for this one. Uh, May 29th, 1998 against Oli Uh You beat him unanimously over 12. Do you remember much about that one?
1: Oh, yeah, man. There's a lot of history that goes with that fight. Uh, uh, I know he was with uh, Emmanuel Stewart and him in Detroit. He was there for a while. He had fights out there and was training out there. Uh, when I fought him, I guess he was back in the Oslo, Norway area because uh, I remember getting a call after we had signed to fight him in Italy, and they wanted me to go to Oslo, Norway from his area because I guess they was having problems with you know selling the pay-per-view deal. And, and I told my guy, I said, listen, man, our deal is done. I'm not going over there unless they pay me. So everything worked in our favor. I got paid, I'm talking 75000 to go over there. I took five guys, went over there, did a press conference, this and that, to speed it up to the fight go over there. His manager uh, and promoter was uh, the guy who Lennox Lewis, who we just had sued and got got away from him, uh, was, uh, was his manager. And when we got there, I remember the, the nice hotel on the water in Italy, beautiful. Uh, they say Reggie, this is where you stand, but they wanted to put all the rest of my people in a different hotel. And I'm like, hell no, my people sleep where I sleep. And man, the, the promoter got got into it right off the thing, man. It was it was nasty. But he ended up getting it right. Uh, we all got in the hotel, and then uh, we was there for about two weeks. And one day they wanted me to do some stuff with me and all my crew out on the patio, looking at the water playing dominoes. And I said, okay, no problem. Uh, We did it. Next thing I know, man, we see this whole crew walking over to, to, to the hotel where I met and they had guitars because his dad and brothers, all of them was musically inclined with guitar singing. And i never forget we playing dominoes. I'm like, man, they intimidate. He's gonna do all this stuff. I said, got up. I said, let's go. And I was walking off, and I passed by his dad, who was playing the guitar, singing a song, Bye bye Reggie, Bye bye Reggie, goodbye. And, you know, he's gonna knock me out. Him, I'm gonna get. And next thing I know, I started thinking about that. I say, man, they trying to get in my head. I'm gonna get in their head. I snatched the guitar, broke the guitar. We started swinging, fighting everybody, and they got that settled down. <laughs> And uh, But anyway, man, that guy was, hey, by far, man, that guy is the dirtiest fighter I ever fought. And even with that fight, if you go back and watch that fight, you can tell that referee was working with the promoter because he letting the guy headbutt and do all this stuff. And, you know, I'm a clean fighter and I do what I do, but I know hey, I've been talked by some 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 great trainers, and I know all the dirty tricks. If I had to use them, and I did some 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 tricks on him that really, really, really. And at the end of that fight, at the end of the day, I ended up winning the fight. I go to the hospital. I tore my rotator cuff, but he was in there hollering, screaming because I broke his reel, real bad. And uh, but but I never forget after that fight, man. That uh, when the fight was over, they announced me the winner. He came over to me and said, hey, man, Reggie, you should say you're sorry to my, apologize to my dad, this and that, and I went and did it, and you know that was it. And even him, I still communicate with him and his brother. His oh, dad cool. is deceased now. Yeah, his dad is deceased now.
2: Okay, rest in peace. Um, yeah, yes. obviously you broke his guitar. Um, your second defense of the title, nine months later, uh, February twenty seventh, nineteen ninety nine, in Miami, Florida. On this occasion, you boxed Philadelphia's Will Taylor. Uh, you also beat him unanimously over twelve. Tell me about that one, Reggie. Well,
1: that Will Taylor fight was a was a great fight, and uh, you know, he had the noted had a noted trainer in his corner. So, no, just no. I'm trying to remember the fighter's name, but just knowing that I knew that this this guy, and then looking at his record, it was going to be a tough fight, but, you know, we went in and just, you know, made the adjustment and did what, did what we what we trained to do after watching his films, and, you know, it was a tough fight. I think, you know, it was a unanimous decision.
2: Yeah, the late Will Taylor uh, obviously passed away. Yes,
1: yes. In, um, hey, another guy mid-20. who was deceased. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Um, as a fight... matter of fact, I'll mention it later. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, Your next fight takes place a little less than four months later. You attempt to unify uh, your title with the reigning WBC and WBA world champion at the time, Roy Jones Jr. Um, The fight takes place in Mississippi, June 5th, 1999. You're dethroned by Roy after 12 rounds, a unanimous decision in his favor. Um, Tell me about that fight and what it was like to mix it obviously with recent Hall of Fame inductee Roy Jones and also just before you get onto that Roy Jones told me a story that he'd sparred with you I think he said in 1991 maybe and I think he only did one round of sparring and jumped out the ring and he ended the spar because he said that God had told him not to teach you any ways on how to beat him because he felt that one day he'd be fighting you for a world title and uh, it wasn't a good idea to spar with you. Years later when you do eventually get the fight with Roy and he wins he put the wind down to cut in short that sparring session is that true do you remember any of that oh absolutely it's true as a matter of fact i was there with Murad muhammad three M
1: promotions um uh, he was down there, i guess he was trying to get Roy then because eventually he ended up getting with Roy. but to make a uh make you understand this story it was a fight there and now. Uh, Roy Jones was supposed to have been on that card. I was fighting on that card, so we put my camp there. And, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, me and Roy sport more than one day. We sport like three days, and then, it, then he stopped coming. And I'm not not saying that he stopped coming because of us spawning, but I know I had heard him a couple of times. Uh, keep, keep in mind, I had a lot more. Experience than he did in in in, in 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 pro boxing, but 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 that's when him and his dad was going through some stuff, and then he he didn't even fight on the card, and I did, and uh, you're right, you know he 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 you know we, we never sparred again because like you know like he said he knew what was coming down the pipe, and uh, people always say, what was your greatest fight? And and when I mentioned Roy Jones, they say, yeah, but that's a fight that you you came up short, you lost. I said, yeah, but man, we would, hey man, that was the most money I ever made in a fight. Not only that, that was history being documented, uh, uh, the undisputed light heavyweight championship of the world that has not been done since since uh, Michael Speaks. So. Till this day, you know, I, I stand on that, and that was my greatest fight. If you, if you, and 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 you know, it kind of like the old school stuff—the best fought the best. You had two of two of the best in the division fighting each other.
2: Yeah, no, a brilliant, brilliant fight between two brilliant champions. Um, it's it's good to get your side of that sparring story as well because uh, it's such a it's such a cool one. I really like that. Obviously, they say don't ever fight your sparring partners. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, six months later, you made your re- return to the ring, a win over Earl Butler on points. Then you're out the ring for just over a year before coming back and beating Chris Johnson, also on points. Uh, then you had the rematch with Will Taylor, the guy you defended your world title against two years prior. Once again, you beat him by decision. Uh, that would be his final fight of his career. Eight months after that... Uh, was when you had your final, I guess, big fight of your career, January 25th, 2002, in Rosemont, Illinois. You boxed for the NABF and USBA light heavyweight titles against the the then champion, and again, future WBA, two-time IBF, two-time WBC uh, world champion Antonio Tava. The fight ends in a split decision again. Uh, Reggie, tell me about this one. Again, another close fight. You seem to have close fights all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: this is the reality of this split decision. Uh, I think the the judges, uh, they, you know, you know, you know, if you're in that fight, you know when you win or you think it's close, you don't know if you win or not. Like people would still come up and tell me, man, they stole that fight. Now nah, Tarver won that fight. Uh, I remember in the third round that I experienced this for the first time. Uh, I got hit in my ear. And I got my eardrum busted, and I remember for like three, four, five rounds, all I could hear was, oh, and uh, 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 I had to change my whole style of fighting because uh, I also was educated that that you know, equilibrium, taste buds, eardrums, all that stuff is tied in together. For a while, I couldn't, I couldn't, I mean, when I eat, I couldn't taste my food. I ended up having a, a slight, you know. Uh, day out surgery on my ear, uh, and James—I mean, I'm sorry—Antonio Tarver won that fight. And once again, when you when you when you have fights like that, win, lose, or draw, you learn. And and in time, those fights kind of like add credibility to your resume and to your record because at the end of the day, look what. Antonio Tarver did to the great Roy Jones and just knowing that I was fighting guys on that you know, on that level,
2: it speaks in volume. it certainly does. And obviously, after that fight, you decided to retire. Uh, you did, of course, come back, though, and have two more fights. One took place three and a half years later, August 2005, a ninth round KO win over Fred Moore. Uh, then your final fight took place two and a half years after that, uh, February 2008, a split decision win over 12 against former WBO light heavyweight world champion Julio Cesar Gon- Gonzalez, uh, leaving behind, of course, a record of 44-7. and seven. Um with one draw, of course. Now, following your boxing career, uh, Reggie, you know, tell me what you can t- tell me about this. Obviously, for the listeners, I want to bring them up to speed and correct me if anything okay. here is wrong. Um, the month after your final fight, you get charged in Texas uh, for theft of, of a reported sum of a, of a hundred and twenty. $1,000, it was in the wake of Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Rita. The Red Cross, a charity, had apparently given apparently had given you this amount of money to put on a series of boxing camps for children to help the youth in the community following those tragic hurricanes. Again, reportedly, these boxing camps never took place and subsequently you're convicted in, in 2010, sentenced to 12 years in jail. Um, however, you're released just, uh, just over two years later due to good behavior. You've always, of course, maintained your innocence regarding these very serious allegations. Um, what can you tell us about that situation, uh, the situation, Reggie? Because, yeah, just what can you tell us about that? It seems crazy.
1: Well, I can tell you a lot about that. Uh, till this day, uh, just like the James Tony fight, my heart, I know I won that fight. And till this day, I take a stand. And you just mentioned it. I was an innocent man. I did three years, six months, and three days as an innocent man. Uh, when I went to trial, uh Uh, I had some paid attorneys. Then I had some court-appointed attorneys. Neither one of them, out of those four attorneys, neither one of them would show the check that they gave me. The key thing is this camp was a summer camp. So I don't know what it is in your country, but the summer is normally over in, like, what is it, uh, like the 10th or something like that, uh, September. September. Early September, like the first yeah, no. ten days of, of, of sub, sub, September, yeah. September, and uh, the check that they gave me one hundred twenty one thousand and some change, check, uh, check. They gave it to me October nineteenth, and what I'm gonna, uh, what I want to do, I'm, I'm gonna send you a copy of that check just so you, so you, could, so you, you could just have it and look at it and and and, and see. But now one of those attorneys. They didn't want to, if they would have showed the jury that check. And then that's another thing. When we did the research on it, I wasn't the only one who was doing camp. They had a whole bunch of different people. They had some police officers did stuff. They got lost their jobs. I mean, it was, it, it, it was crazy, but even that stuff, you know, being talked about in my book, being brought back up because that's something that, 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 uh, you know, I'm still standing on, and all that stuff will uh, come back up.
2: Because, yeah, obviously, you know, it's uh, it's 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 serious. Obviously, it's a lot of money. Um, it's uh, yeah. It's I mean, the pe- the picture that was painted is that you know this money's kind of stolen from an underprivileged children charity. Uh, you know, right after a crisis. So, just in a nutshell. Um, Reggie, you, were, you you received the money and, and spent it on the camps? Or, I mean, what just in a relationship? No no no, 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 no. When I first met with those people
1: downtown Houston that they, they deal, I told them I was getting ready to fight Glenn Johnson. That's when I ended up fighting Julio Gonzalez, who beat Glenn Johnson because the fight got pushed back. Glenn Johnson fought the, uh, the other champion. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the guy who beat him, Julio Gonzalez, who I knew from California anyway, because he used to, when he had about 12, 14 fights, he used to spar with me when I lived out there. So that's how that fight came up. So the fight was pushed back. So, of course, and they told me that we can do it the following Sunday if it didn't work because I had a fight coming up. And all that stuff is documented, too, because we had press conferences and all that stuff in in, in the state of Louisiana where the the fight was going to take place and where the fight eventually did take place with Julio Gonzalez.
2: And, Reggie, what was prison like for you, an ex-world champion winding up in jail? Did anyone try to test you out, try to provoke you, try to fight you? (laughs) Well i I was in there three years, six months, and
1: three days. I did have uh four altercations in there, but you know a lot of people uh of course they're gonna recognize you uh oh that's, that's the champion resident then they know the police officers know the people that's working your your, your cages uh and what's a lot of people people know but i you know hey man I'm a community activist the world over. Wherever I go, wherever I'm at, I, I like helping people. And me and another Muslim guy was in a tank one time. Two guys came in there, uh, want to fight people, take their commissary mean, they food and all that stuff. And he got one of them, I, and I got one of them, and, and you know we control those guys. And uh, one day I'm laying on my bunk in prison. It was on a Sunday because they had the NFL football games on. And I hear all these guys hollering this and that. And I jump up, i like, what's going on? The lady who's working the the, the what you call her turned the TV off because one of the guys that, that 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 was in his room, the other the bad guy that was in his room that we had, they were doing good stuff, man. He went in there, was cussing the lady out, talking to him. This lady, man, had to be like about 55, 60-something years old. I mean, man, that, that lady got grandkids, and, and and I go, and I say, hey, man, you can't talk to this lady. That's somebody's mother, boom, 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 boom. And then the dude walk off. He say, listen to me, chap. I'm not worried about you. I ain't, I ain't you know, I ain't with all that. I ain't intimidated by you being a chap, remember? And he, he walking, talking, and I walk, I'm i right behind him, walking in the room. And, uh, you know, this dude going back and forth. Before you know I hit him with a right hand. His head hit the wall. And, you know, when he falls out, his eyes is wide open, rolling up on his eyes. And, man, it scared the hell out of I You know, I just ran out of there. And uh, But anyway, the, the cops came in there. They put me in cuffs, put him in cuffs, and uh, put us, took us out that side door. And I'll never forget this. The lady who was working in there, she ran out the side door and said, wait, wait a minute, what the hell are you guys doing? That's the problem, right? Him, not him. Take the damn cuffs off that young man. And they took the cuffs off of me. And, 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 and I, you know, whenever you get into a, a, a fight or something, you had to go to medical. I went to the medical, man. When I came back, them guys had the TV back on, watching the football game. Everybody just hollering. Like, you know, I thought, you know, it's like you didn't want a world title. Everybody, you know, rooting for you, hollering, you know. <laughs> but, hey, man, it, 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 it was crazy, man. And, like, I can tell that I had three other altercations, man. But, you know, it's. You know, in that, man. If, if, if you're stuck in a situation like that, man, you you know, you just be yourself. And 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 I love helping people, uh, uh, talking to people, and 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 getting them to realize doing the right thing is the
2: is the best way to overcome anything. Okay, so. I'm going to assume your jail record was 4 and 0 as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 4 and 0 with uh, 3 knockouts because one time one time one time this this white guy I was sitting there on the thing reading a book and he came and asked me because he had the, the book next. I said, O N-O got the next. N-O is a guy who's in Houston but he's from New Orleans, Louisiana and everybody called him N-O. And and the dude asked me for the book and and I told him, I said, Well NO got it next, you gotta get it from him. And uh, so, you know, a little time go by and the guy come back and say, Champ, what a book is, man? I said, I told you know had it next and then, then this guy just loses it. He go crazy. Same thing. God damn it, man. I don't give a damn about no boxing. You're about to give me the goddamn book? How are you that other? And you say, I don't care about boxing. He say, I'm MMA, motherfucker. And he's ah, like, like he knew karate. And by the time the dude talking, I'm standing up. And before you know it, I had to hit this dude. And boom, he, he, he hit the floor and hit the concrete. But this dude get up and shake his head and run at me again. I hit him again and knocked him down. And I held him down. By this time, all these people ran in there and, uh, uh, he started fighting with the officers that came in there that was breaking us up. And when they came in, I said, hey, man, this guy's crazy. It's him, bro. It ain't me. And everybody's, everybody in there was talking about, yeah, it's him. And, and, and they started fighting with him, man. And same thing. I just had to go to the to the medical room and just get checked. And I came back. And once again, when I came back in there, them guys was, you know, it wasn't as many of them hiding like that. But a lot of them, champ, you did what you had to do, man. You know, you know that type of stuff, man. But, you know, that was... That was I, I, I don't want to say it was a great experience, cause man, you know, I'm not built for that jail stuff, man. That's not that's not my style. I'm, I'm 55 years old, man. I ain't never had a beer before in my life. Nothing foreign, never been in my system. Don't smoke, don't drink. I don't I don't do the. I never did that. I'm, I'm from a fifth ward. Everybody know fifth ward Houston is is is, just, is the ghetto. Everybody is just like Watts, uh, California, uh, 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 what Bronx, New York. You know, they got Fifth World Houston, that's where I'm from, but I never got caught up in all that stuff because of, you know, mainly I guess boxing and just seeing what it did to
2: my dad, my uncles and, and the people in my community. Yeah, absolutely. And um coming down to the last couple questions I've got for you, Reggie, these are kind of quick fire questions. Um you were so tough, obviously. You never got stopped. Uh you've been in there with some huge punchers. Who hit the hardest of all the guys you fought in the pro ranks?
1: Well, you know, I never really got caught real hard, flush on the chin or anything, but, you know, catching punches and feeling body punches, that guy William Gutcher was a big, you know, I moved up two weight classes. Of course, that was a strong guy. That dude Castro felt like he had something in his gloves. Maybe we should have had his gloves checked. That guy was a strong guy. And I'm going to tell you, the guy, uh, the strongest guy was, uh, William Guthrie, but the uh, punching wise, but also that guy, Lamar Parks, man, that guy, it felt like he had some of his gloves too, but he wasn't only, he didn't only hit hard. This guy was, he had fast hands. And, 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 and I think it was the fifth round. That's another thing with boxing. People don't realize too, man, you, you gotta, you gotta be an actor too. You gotta know how to act because if a guy hit you and hurts you, you can't let him know that you hurt. Uh, I don't know if you remember the fight when Muhammad Ali fought Ernie Schavers, who they say yeah. was the hardest punching heavyweight. Yeah. Remember, he hit Ali and hurt Ali, but Ali was clowning, acting like evil. But Ali was hurt real bad, but he started clowning. And and, and even Schavers said, I thought he was trying to uh, uh, bait me in. But Ali was really hurt, man. So you got to be smart like that. But uh, I know when when Lamar Parks hit me with a body shot one time, man, you know, I had to like play it off. You know? Yeah. And and till this day I, I don't even think he realized or know what, what how bad I was hurt.
2: Okay. And um
1: who but was William the... Butcher was the hardest puncher man. He's he's a strong guy.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um who was the best all round fighter you ever shared a ring with? I
1: think I think I think I think that's a
2: question you can ask. You already know the answer to. <laughs> I don't know. I would say it's tied between James Tony and, and Roy.
1: Well, of course,
2: Roy Jones. But
1: if you go back and watch the James Tony fight, I fought. I fought on my terms. James Tony. I'm not saying it was an easy fight, but the way I fought him, you know, <laughs> man. It, I mean, you know, I, I felt his power. But you know, that was a fight that he lost. But
2: man uh, Roy Jones yeah favorite win of your career Reggie which one stands out as the most I guess important significant I think I think uh, man you know coming back
1: and uh, moving up two weight classes then when you when you when you put in the history of uh, finding out that you, you you were the eighth guy that, that that won the middleweight and moved up two weight classes and went the light heavyweight and 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 being being a seven to one underdog, that William that 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 that, that William Guthrie fight was, you know, is 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 like those fights that they took from me. That you know, I kind of like I didn't get it, get the fights back, but it's like, you know, I showed that I I took a stand
2: and I didn't give up and I came back and 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 and, and
1: did something bigger than what they took from me.
2: And I want to ask you as well, Reggie, is there anyone you wish you'd have had the chance to fight, but for whatever reason, the fight never took place? I'm guessing there's a few guys.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, the, I definitely wanted... No, uh, uh, no, nah, nah, I didn't really want to fight Frank Tate because Frank Tate won the title. He had lost, and he was, wasn't really in boxing. But I wanted to fight the, the 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 real fighters, like like Glenn Johnson, who knocked out Roy Jones. I wanted to fight him... Uh, who else, man? It, 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 it's quite a few fighters. Uh, oh yeah, Bernard Hopkins. He was. He and I was supposed to fight at middleweight. That came up. We were supposed to fight at light heavyweight. That fight never happened. So it would definitely be them two right there. Uh, uh, and of course, a rematch with James Tony.
2: Yeah, no, they would have all been good to see. Um, I like to ask this question. Um, I love it when people say. I love it when the answer to this question is no, I have none. But my question is, do you have any regrets? Uh, I think
1: I think any fighter tell you that they don't have any regrets. Uh, I'm not telling you that they're lying, that they love boxing, and they just, you know, especially if they're healthy, happy to be healthy. But, you know, I, 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 I've got a, probably a handful of regrets. Uh, and 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 most of those regrets is it just you know, de- de- dealing with the the, the the business of boxing. Uh yeah. The business yeah, dealing with the business of boxing, uh uh these uh promoters, you know, is uh you know, you know, like I told you, I was the type of fighter. Uh like when I fought William Guthrie, um I wasn't even worried about the money. I just wanted the opportunity to fight. Yeah. Uh I got I got a regret with the state of California. I mean, I love California. I love my career took off and that wouldn't have never happened if I wouldn't have left Houston. Uh I know California was the only state that had a pension. Uh and this is not a regret because this is something just like my legal situation. I'm still on it. They had a pension. And uh, they, they 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 told me Larry Musgrove, who was a guy I used to spar with, was a great fighter who beat James T Kitchen back in the day. He's a little older than I am, but uh, he he you know he got his pension. And they tell me, and then I've talked to probably about three handful of <laughs> three or four handful of fighters say they told me the same thing. Uh, I was one round away from getting my pension. Okay. And and uh, yeah. Yeah, and and I'm not saying that that's that that's a regret, but that's that's something that boxing that you know, that's still ongoing, like the legal situation that that uh that I'm 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 still standing on and, and, and trying to get
2: right. Yeah, the, the you know, the aftercare for boxers when they retire it's uh it definitely needs some work from some angle. Um what are you doing these days, Reggie? What keeps you busy these days? You know, that's one of the most the uh,
1: questions that I'm
2: asked uh,
1: when people realize who I am or, uh, you know, just interviews. And I tell people what I do, I'm a community activist. I work with uh, police officers, go to detention centers, work with kids, school, speak at boxing gyms, boys and girls clubs, things of that nature. I'm a, I'm a community, I'm a world community activist. Even when I went to Argentina, I went up in the mountains where all the poor people was, and and, and all them poor people became my fans, and I'm fighting a guy in Argentina, Jorge Castro. <laughs> so you know, uh, uh, even in going to Spain, even in Italy, man, we you know we 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 always the whole crew we all on the same page, man. And 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 I like to uh, send a big shout out to all the people who travel the world with me. Uh, stood with me, Uh, and it's sad to say, I got got a picture I just put out there, had 10 people on it in Italy, and and seven of those people are not with us. Uh, I lost a great Chuck Bodak. Chuck Bodak, he always put the fighter's name or something on his head. He was an older guy. He died about 95, but Chuck Bodak, man, he, he was a great cut man, great cut man, yeah. Uh my chief trainer, Manuel Chanto Robles. Uh, man, my dad, two of his friends who went to Italy with us. Uh, I got like a, uh, uh, a young man I grew up with it was like my little brother. He died and he was younger than I was. I got an uncle right now who started me to boxing. He's right now battling uh, stage four cancer. Ken and I and Walker. He's the guy that took me to the boys club. He took me to the late Mr. James Carter. It, it, it's just, man, it goes on and on and on. And and I'm a picture guy, man. I probably got over 75,000 pictures. I'm working on a picture book. That would be the first book that I release. uh It's just going through all them pictures and then realizing, man, this guy is gone. Uh, he's gone. Uh, my photographer, it Skip Davis, he's gone. It's just, man, when you're this, and then, then when you go back and watch the old films, all these guys in your corner working and, you know, you – you realize they're not, they're gone, they're not
2: here. Yeah, life is so short. Um, Absolutely. You know, my next question was actually going to be a lot of people retire from boxing, they wind up unhappy. Obviously, the way your career went, the man you are today, 2022, are you a happy man?
1: Oh, yes, I'm a very happy man. Happy to be here. I'm, 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 I'm happy I got all my uh, faculties.
2: Uh, You know,
1: incredible. uh, You got an incredible
2: memory as well.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, my memory, you know, when you have a lot on your mind, sometimes I mean, my memory, I have to think about it, but it always comes back to me. uh, And it's not because of the punishment. I'm I'm not one of those, I've never been knocked out. Uh, I never took a a beating of the punishment. And, you know, I was fortunate and blessed to uh, have a career I had. And, you know, in, in that business, man, it's, you know, a lot of guys, man, and that's another thing I want to put out there, man. I'm working with some guys in Minnesota, some people in New York, and uh, got a we got a, a champions uh, um, forever champions world tour. We're putting together, bringing fighters together, just traveling the world, connecting with the boxing fan, autograph shows, black tie events, dinner events, raising money for worthy causes, man. Us fighters coming together, doing doing that. Uh, and you know and we we're going to do this here there
2: won't be no promoters involved in this that sounds a great idea hopefully you guys wind up in the UK there's a lot of people over here that would love to see you um oh i got i got a few people i'm talking to already over there uh really? ireland uh yeah
1: yeah uh germany yeah we're going we're gonna, we're gonna definitely be there uh, and hopefully uh, i i had that set up already for uh uh London UK Ireland and Germany and they pushed it back like 3 days and then they just said we're going to have to wait to
2: 2022 Reggie because of the coronavirus. Okay, well hopefully it's all yeah. rescheduled with, you know, with with dates locked in. Um my final two questions for you Reggie, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here but I think your good memory is going to have no problem with this. Favorite UK fighter, any era who springs to mind? <laughs>
0: Oh, that's got
2: that's got to be Lennox Lewis, man. I love Lennox Lewis. I think he was a great fighter. Yeah, a lot of people say Lennox. a lot of people say Prince Nassim Hamed, uh Lennox, obviously Ricky Hatton. Uh yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, Ricky Hatton, but I mean, you know, uh I like I like uh Lennox. No, no, I, I, I yeah, yeah, I, I, I would put Lennox number 1. Uh uh Ricky Hatton is good, but he would be number 3 and what you call would be number but two because you know, he's a left handed fighter. Yeah. Like okay. myself. <laughs> <laughs> and just finally my and, final and he was an entertainer too, man. That guy that guy
2: could punch, man, and wow, he's a good fighter. Absolutely, man. <laughs> uh, and my final my final real question for you, Reggie. Um, if you've got any closing words to anyone that could be listening to this, particularly uh, your fans here in the UK, if you've got any closing message before we let you go, say whatever you like, my friend. The stage is yours.
1: Well, I, will, I first of all, I would like to say I'm, I've been in London, UK about three times, but it was always in passing, you know, flying somewhere else. I would love to come there and we're working on that. I can't wait to get there to spend time there because, and I'm not just saying this here, man, that London, UK area over there, I think they got the best fans on planet earth. The best fans on planet earth. And uh, I would love, I can't wait to come there. And I remember, what, I, I, I remember watching Ali over there, man, how, how those people, man, they was – man, I just – I want to experience what Ali experienced.
2: Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people say we've got the best boxing fans over here. Um, you know, yeah. we certainly recognize and respect, uh, you know, world champions, former world champions. I'm sure you'd be welcomed with open arms. Listen, Reggie, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Thank you so much for walking down memory lane with me. Thank you for your time. And um, I want to wish you as well a happy new year 2022.
1: Oh, likewise, brother. And thank you for sharing your platform with us, man. And this is great. Make sure you send me a copy of this because I, I document and keep all stuff like this. And man, I'm 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 really looking forward to coming spending time there, uh, just communicating, doing charity stuff, and and really, man, hanging out with the boxing fans, man.
2: Okay, and this wraps up episode three hundred and twenty-five of the Box Hard podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest this week, the former. WBA middleweight and IBF light heavyweight world champion Reggie Johnson. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Thanks once again for tuning in this week. And that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.